0: I'll invite you to turn with me to Exodus 20 this morning, and that Decalogue, those ten words, ten commands that God gives to His people at Mount Sinai, the ones that He has chosen and delivered. Uh, the Lord has made a covenant with His people uh, so very long ago, and we could all go all the way back to the beginning of the story, in Genesis chapter 1, for the, uh, the beginning of that covenant with all men, and then in Genesis 12, where the covenant is carried out through one man and his offspring. Now in Exodus, the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have been rescued from the house of slavery, and that covenant is renewed in the wilderness at Mount Sinai. So how do the people of God um, stay faithful to this covenant? How do they keep their end of the promise If this covenant is going to remain healthy and intact, then uh, the people must be about this covenant word. And so... We reach Exodus 20, and people are reminded in a very frightening way that these words come from their deliverer, uh, the one who has rescued them, who loves them, who's taken the initiative um, in delivering them. So we must always read these commands in light of verses 1 and 2 of Exodus 20, Uh, if we're going to keep the grip on the gospel as we read uh, God's law. We're going to read through verse 17 this morning. The end of the unit really goes through verse 21, but we're going to take a closer look at those next week. So, Beginning Exodus 20 through verse 17. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath. that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. The ten words that God gives to his people and to us today, let's thank him for that lord god you have poured out your grace upon us grace upon grace and we see your grace here in giving us this word lord it shows us how we are to love you how we can love you and love our neighbor well Lord, we confess and have already confessed to you that we don't do this well we need your grace we need your help in fulfilling this word lord we ask now that you would speak faithfully through your servant that you would work in our hearts a deeper love and affection for you who do come to our aid in the person of jesus Lord, grow our love for jesus as we contemplate this word this command guard our hearts We pray this in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. You know, it would be much easier if our obedience to God could be measured by the external. You know, just duties that we sort of, you know, check the boxes, don't you think? You know, say this, don't say that. Go here, don't go here. When this happens, you know, just plug in the formula. This is how you respond. That, I think, would be, you know, it might be, we could wear our Pharisee robes proudly. It'd be, you know, a lot of do's and don'ts, but at least we could see it. At least we could measure it in some way. And I'm probably just giving away more of my analytical personality by asking those types of, by making that statement. Uh, But God's law moves us well beyond the external, well beyond what can be measured Beyond just just checking the boxes, God's law moves us here, moves us to the inside, the attitude of our hearts. God's desire is for our hearts to delight in Him. The word that He's given to us. Obedience, or the lack of obedience to His word, that that starts here in the inside before anything is acted upon. And I I, I trust we've seen, as, as we've looked at these commands... You know, that, that this last command is something that's, that's very difficult for us to measure. Because it's an attitude of the heart. The person sitting next to you is not, not really going to know if you are coveting. It's an attitude that very well may lead to, to actions, things that can be measured. It may lead to lying or stealing or adultery or things of that nature. But it's not easily discerned by others. Or by ourselves, so in my desire to be appropriately transparent, uh, let me give you an example of how sneaky covetousness uh, can take over misdirected desire. I was walking a neighborhood just I think this was last week, and uh, I, my neighbor on the top of the hill was was walking down the driveway with his dog, and this neighbor had had a procedure in his heart about a month before and we'd been been praying for him and he and his wife are very kind and and so we were talking about that a little bit and and then the weather came up and we were talking about that and then he made some comments about the the ruts in his yard uh, just off the driveway and uh and as soon as he made that comment, my attitude shifted. Now, this neighbor is very kind. He's given us permission as a family to use their front yard, which is a much larger and flat front yard than our own. Um, but I started to think, you know, you've got this huge yard. I love this yard. My yard is so sloped, and I can't get any grass to grow. He's got a beautiful yard. And, he, and you're talking about a few muddy ruts off the driveway? And I wasn't, as I was thinking, that wasn't, you know, unkind after he made these comments. But looking back, my my whole attitude had shifted toward him. From one of sort of disinterest, because now I'm thinking about the yard, instead of actually engaging in the story of my neighbor, what's been going on in his life. My desire in that moment was to have a nicer yard, even if it wasn't his yard, exactly. It was just a nicer yard complaining with about some ruts off the driveway. So it's a small example, but it gets at the heart of covetousness. A desire for something that, that someone else has that changes our attitude towards them. Or desire to keep something so badly that it affects how we interact with other people. It okay, may even motivate us. We said earlier to, to other sins like lying or stealing. So you and I have been made to desire things. We are creatures who desire passionately. It's how we are created. Uh, so that, that means desire is not a bad thing. But when our desires are, are misdirected or distorted, as they often are by sin, then that's when we start to envy and covet To use others rather than love them. This passage gives us two categories of things that we uh, covet in order to help us understand through that broad brush at the end, anything that is our neighbor's. Um, Persons and property. House, ox, donkey, those those are all tools, those are all property. And then we talk about a spouse or, or servants, those are persons. We place a greater value on property or persons Desiring after them more than God and what He has provided, then we're slaves with a new owner, a new idol. And our desires are misdirected. That, that, that's when we move out of bounds. Typically, our actions uh, will follow that. And you look at all of uh, world history. If you were to try to describe world history with, with the wars that have been that have been fought, uh, it would all boil down to. Some very simple desires: more power and more property. In our rebellious hearts, you and I cannot stand it when someone else has more of these things than we do. This covetousness actually actually blinds us to what we do have, what God has given to us. So all we can see is what we don't have. So let me ask you: What do you set your desires on? Is getting what you desire the most valuable thing to you? you know, it could be safeguarding. Just safeguarding person's property, power. You know, A big one in the church is, is coveting after the gifts of others. Who are our brothers and sisters. Who are part of the body of Christ. And God may equip one of us to do something particularly well. In service to the rest of the body. But deep in our hearts, we want to be able to do it that well. Or do it at all. So our brother and sister may may never know this, but it resides in the heart. All of of these commands that relate to our neighbor, this is the one that we can't really really see in our neighbor. Um, Stealing is forbidden. and We've learned that in the Eighth Commandment, but now even the desire to steal is forbidden. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says to the church in Ephesus. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Again, he speaks to the Colossians. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So we find coveting right at the root of evil. Misdirected, distorted desires are deadly in our relationship to the Lord. And that shows us just how serious and deep our brokenness is. This is one of the roles that that God's law plays in our lives. It shows us just how deep our wickedness goes. The great reformer John Calvin, he said the law is like a lamp. Uh, It guides us, it lights our way. But it's also like a mirror. It shows us the warts, the wrinkles, the wickedness, in our own hearts. It shows us just how needy we are. Because what's hidden in our, in our hearts never really stays hidden. Think of the, the sixth chapter of Luke. It says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Our words, our body language, our demeanor reflects what's in our hearts. So if we're going to love people, if we're going to obey God in the way that He requires, even the attitude of our hearts, you know, this, this is something that's going to discourage us pretty quick as we look into the mirror of God's law. And so our, our, our cry is, is often the Apostle Paul, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And Lord Jesus fulfills this command as He does with all the other commands by by widening it, deepening it. The same God who delivered the Israelites from the house of slavery in Egypt has delivered us from the slavery of sin through Christ. He's fulfilled the law's demands. The mirror of the law exposes our depravity, our sickness, but the blood of Jesus covers us. Restores us lord god his rightful place in our hearts the very center the object of our desire church only only the gospel of jesus christ can heal and restore our lawlessness only the spirit of god can can fill our hearts with the desire to love him to love him as we ought and he has done this I think of the, the words of that song. Let us love and sing and wonder. Let us praise the Savior's name. He has hushed the law's loud thunder. He's quenched Mount Sinai's flame. He has washed us with his blood. He presents our souls to God. O oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So Jesus restores our broken relationship to God. He redirects our desires. So a restored man, restored desires. We've been transformed by the love that God has for us in Christ. We desire what is good and pleasing to the Lord. This is what uh, Thomas Chalmers, Scottish pastor in the late 19th century, what he called the expulsive power of a new affection. Nothing will drive out sin nothing will drive out covetousness like a deeper love a deeper desire a deeper affection for christ love expressing itself through grace the most powerful motivator of all we go after what we love we're going to do what we love our desires chase after what we love i think you know the mother duck and all the ducklings just wandering along behind that's our desire Behind the love of our hearts. If our love is for Christ, the one who has loved us, then our desires will be after Him. Our desire will be to please Him above all else. That's the expulsive power, the transforming power of the gospel. You and I have no hope of defeating sin in our lives. We have no hope of walking in obedience to God without a greater love. A love for the one who has restored us has adopted us as his very own. We sin because we love it. We don't sin because we love him more. He's captured our affection and our desires. Augustus Toplody, another pastor, hymn writer, we know him best for the hymn, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. But he wrote this verse, Object of my first desire, Jesus, crucified for me. All to happiness aspire only to be found in Thee. Thee to please and Thee to know constitute our bliss below. Thee to see and Thee to love constitute our bliss above. So knowing the love of Christ is the only way to defeat covetousness. Desire passionately what glorifies Him. Can we get more specific on this? What does this look like in our lives today? I think we can do that both positive and in negative ways that we obey this word. Remember, this is our third question. Why why do we need it? How has Jesus uh, fulfilled this uh, command? And now um, what does obedience to this command look like? We'll start with the negative. We'll end with, with the positive. Uh, the negative is what we ought not to be uh, or to do. We must guard against chasing after every desire. Guard against being consumers of everything, everyone. Have you ever played that game Pac-Man? I know some of you are video gamers, and you're playing Fortnite. Well, there's Pac-Man, and then there's Fortnite. It's just a little bit more complicated now, a little bit more advanced. We really started with Pac-Man. And he goes after all those little white dots with a vengeance. See if he can get them all before he's caught or before someone else gets them. We're not set apart to be Pac-Mans to consume all we can in power and property and persons over what is already ours in the Lord Jesus. Consume, consume, consume is what we're told. Chasing after that desire. It can be something that's, that's pretty subtle. It can be hard for me to see that in you or for you to see that in me. But there comes a point when Maybe our planning, our preparation, our saving, our pursuit. You know, it, it, sort of, it sort of tips over. There's that tipping point where our hearts are constantly thinking about acquiring the next thing. Just dwelling on what it is we don't have. So planning, saving, that's okay. That, that's, that's wise. It's expected. But there comes a point. It's going to be different for each one of us. When the planning and the saving and the pursuing, desiring becomes habitual. It becomes all-consuming. That's when we've sort of stepped out of bounds. I think of that frog in boiling water illustration. I've not actually ever tried this. But you put a a live frog in boiling water and it's going to jump out, from what I'm told. But if you set the frog in very comfortable water and you slowly turn up the heat he's going to get to that point where the frog can no longer jump out of the water and be boiled alive. Envy, covetousness, it often comes on slowly. We're not aware, even, even thinking that there may be a danger, and then we realize later that we've been hooked with this unhealthy or misdirected desire. I mean, sin works this way a lot of the time in our lives, especially when we covet Again, I want us to remember that, that desire is not a bad thing. We ought to desire the gifts of God in our lives. We ought to desire the, the blessings He affords in, in creation, the fruit of our labor. I was thinking my kids were practicing the piano the other day. When I listen to my kids play the piano, or listen to Don sit here and play the piano this morning, and I desire to play the piano. And maybe I'll even commit to that and, and discipline myself to practice. Is that coveting? Well, no. That's a, that's a motivation, a desire to pursue something. Now, if my desire is that dawn not play so well, so that my you know attempts at Mary had a little lamb don't sound so bad, now, now I'm starting to approach that area of covetousness. Um, now I want to take away a gift or an ability from someone else and keep it for myself. Appreciate what uh, Dr. Dan Doriani mentions this when applying this command. He says this command teaches us to marvel correctly. To marvel correctly. I should marvel and give thanks that that Dawn has the ability to play the piano the way that she does. Or the skills that my kids are learning as they practice the piano that i don't have i can appreciate that give praise to god for what he has entrusted to another so it helps calibrate our longings So we need to, to rein in this chasing after every desire i think another practical way to do this um, just a guarding against gambling with the resources that god's entrusted to us again i'm not i'm not thinking about the board games you might play this afternoon or those games where you throw a dice that you weren't allowed to play maybe when you were younger. Um, Rolling a dice to see what happens next is not gambling or fueling covetousness. But I wonder about about playing the slots or or buying into a state-sponsored pool. These these things feed greed and a discontentment. It really doesn't matter what game that you play at the casino. The driving desire is, I want more. Put in a little, get a lot out. So we need to to consider just how to be responsible stewards, responsible spending with what God has given to us. Uh, The content person is free to give, free to serve, instead of using others to feed greed and discontentment. I think it speaks to our charity with one another. Can we be charitable without the expectation of getting something in return? And we've all heard about those fundraisers, have been a part of those um, fundraisers where they offer the big prize. Right? You can win the new Mustang, you can win the trip to whatever island, the $100,000, and it's just $100 a ticket. Put it in there. Um, now you know that something like that is going to make big money. That works. Because it's appealing to the greed underneath, the discontent, appeal to desire. I mean, we bite off on this. And that, that type of charity, it's going to work as a fundraiser, but it actually undermines real benevolence. If we're giving because we hope to get something big in return, then we're really not giving from the heart. We're, just, we're exercising greed or covetousness in a way that's acceptable, in a way that's respectable uh, in our time. So the command is certainly a call to contentment, which we mentioned a few weeks ago when talking about stealing. God can be trusted to care for us, to provide for us. He knows what we need on a day-to-day basis. I don't know what's best for me today, but God does. I can trust Him. I don't have to go after the next best thing. Neither do you. So here's where we get into the positive aspect of this command. Contentment. It's really experienced as the sufficiency of Christ in our lives. We have received more than we could possibly imagine in the Lord Jesus. So to embrace that truth, our God orchestrates all of our circumstances. That He's present, that He, he gives us the strength to go through the good times, the hard times, the challenging times. This is what J.I. Packer calls the secret to contentment. Paul shares with Timothy, his contentment, very difficult circumstances. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Food and clothing, are we really content with these things? If you're like me, then your, your contentment tank has a pretty good-sized crack in it and needs to be constantly refilled. Um, and the way we do this, we refill that contentment tank as we give thanks in all circumstances, for the big things, but especially for those little things in life that are easy to overlook. Lord, thank you for this cup of coffee. Lord, thank you for the safety from home to work this morning. Lord, thank you for a few minutes of quiet. Lord, thank you for that little mud trail in the house because it says the kids were outside exploring. Thank you. Contentment, fulfillment in Christ begins to root out covetousness. It actually has a uh, connection with fear which we'll talk about next week. Let me end with this. In the, in the late '70s, NASA launched two satellites, Voyager One and Voyager Two, just to go out and explore the universe, to see what was out there, maybe make contact with someone or something. Kind of feel that language. Um, but on board each each of these satellites, there there was an audio recording called the Sounds of Earth, and it included a few different things like a, a human heartbeat was on there, and also included some music by Beethoven. And uh, Beethoven had, had written Opus 130, I don't know the exact piece, but in the margin of this piece that Beethoven had written that was included was the word sensucht, which in German is, is a word for, for longing. So part of the sounds of earth, part of the message from earth to the rest of the universe, it seems, is that we are creatures of desire and longing. We have a deep desire for beauty and meaning and wholeness. It's this desire, this longing, that is satisfied only in Christ. So the command not to covet, one of the most comprehensive of all, because it it calls us to contentment and a complete satisfaction in Jesus. We are to love nothing else before our God, which takes us right back to the first command. Delight yourself in the Lord. and He will give you the desires of your heart. He'll give you more and more of Himself. So we end where we began in the study of the perfect end. The grace of our God in giving us His law. Jesus is going to say in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So it's not just our duty to obey this law, a law given to the people so long ago, trembling before Mount Sinai. It is our delight to obey, a delight for those who are chosen and loved by God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we will feast at His table. Lord God, who do we have in heaven but You? Truly, there is nothing on earth that we desire besides You. You are a rock. You are our refuge, our portion forever. Lord, make it so and grow this desire for You all the more in us, Your people. Guard us against envy and covetousness that we might have a greater desire, a greater love for You who has loved us so deeply. We thank you for this word. Feed us now at your table. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.